if you would, Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Uh, With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king and the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand on live coal, uh, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So that's where we'll stop this morning. Um, so when you, when you read that, you look at the very first thing off the bat. It says, In the year King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So King Uzziah was the king... Um, uh, during this time, and it said in the year that he died, uh, King Uzziah was, was, a, was a good king uh, for all intents and purposes. If you remember the, the kings in the saga of like, when we're dealing with it right now with First and Second Samuel, you know, you have Saul, bad king, David, good king, Solomon, you know, and then the, it just kind of goes flip-flops. You have evil king who ruled the world or ruled the earth for 40 years, and then you had a good king for a few years, then you had a bad king, and so it's this up and down, back and forth battle. And, and, and the kingdom of Judah, King Uzziah was, was actually a good king. Um, he, he reigned when he was started when he was 16, and, and he reigned for about 52 years. Um, overall, um, he, was, he was a good guy. In the second Kings, uh, chapter 15, it says that you know, King Uzziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Um, but Uzziah's life ended tragically. Uh, second Chronicles 26, 16, I think we have it up here. It says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up, to the destruction for his for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the incense or the altar of incense. So, um, King Uzziah was king. Kings and priests were not to uh, kings were not to do the priest duties and vice versa. The king could not go into um, the the holy place and to burn incense on the altar of incense, and that's exactly what happened. So King Uzziah goes in there, you know, and, and you think. It said because of his pride, if you read chapter 15 of, or chapter 26, it was because of Uzziah's pride that he went in there. He, he, wasn't, con- he wasn't content, I don't think, with um, just being the king. He wanted to be able to offer these sacrifices and, uh, and offer this incense up to the Lord. But the Lord struck him with leprosy. Um, and he died an isolated leper um, shortly after that. And so the Lord doesn't mess around when he tells us to do something. It's not like a suggestion, but it's, hey, look, I don't want you to do this, or I want you to do that. And so Uzziah, um, because of his pride, wanting to take more control, have more power, um, the Lord gave him leprosy. So to say in the year that King Uzziah died is to say a lot. Um, you remember the, the, your king at that time w- was a big deal. Um, it, it, was a, it was a very big deal, especially to have a king that was serving the Lord and have a tragic end to his life. Um, it, it, it was a, um, it was a catastrophic, catastrophic event um, in Israel's time. And so to say that in the year that King Uzziah died, I mean, you got to think there's a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings that, that go into that, you know, this, this feeling of being lost. Like here, here my king, you know, is now, is now dead. Now what? You know, this feel of hopelessness. So here was our king that was going to rule us right. They didn't know who was coming next. They didn't know if his son was going to be a good king, a bad king. And so there's a lot of uncertainty at this time. So put yourself in, um, in the shoes of, of the kingdom of Judah right now. And, you know, your, your loyal, um, God-fearing king has now had a tragic end to his life. And so all the feelings of uncertainty and depression and doubt and all of these things are, are starting to surround the kingdom. And, uh, and then what does the very next thing say in chapter or verse 1? It says, in the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. So the next thing the Bible records was Isaiah's vision of the Lord sitting on the throne. And for you and I, you know, when we have uncertainty in our lives, when we have things that happen in our lives that we don't understand, when there's a tragic event, you know, when things that, um, that we think should be going a certain way all of a sudden take a turn for the worse, you know, our natural response is, well, what the heck happened? You know, why, Lord? Or, um, you know, the, these feelings of just being dejected or bummed out or depressed. But Isaiah, what does he, what does he see? He sees the Lord sitting on the throne, unaffected by what's happening here. This didn't catch him off guard. This King Uzziah dying didn't catch him off guard. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And so for us to be able to look at that should bring comfort to us that no matter what's going on in our lives, whether it's cancer, whether it's um, you know, losing your house, losing your job, going through you know, a nasty time in your marriage, whatever it is, the Lord is still on the throne. And where we need to come is to his throne room, not to our own throne room and not to place ourselves in the throne, but to go to the Lord's throne and say, okay, God, obviously this is... Uh, this is happening for, uh, for a reason. God, would you show me what you have for me through this time and through this trial? And um, Isaiah, uh, or the Lord chose to reveal himself to Isaiah in the midst of um, a, a big tragedy. And, and I think that if Isaiah hadn't been um, close with the Lord, he hadn't had a relationship with the Lord, um, the Lord would have showed himself to maybe someone else. You know, so it's in these times where we're, um, uncertain in these times where we, there's these trials and tribulations in our lives that we need to be pressing into the Lord and saying, okay, God, what do you have for me? Reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. Show me your power. Show me your majesty. Show me your might. Because it's in those times that we can take comfort in that. But if we're far from the Lord at that time, you know, then we try to take comfort in, in and of our own abilities and ourself, and it gets us nowhere. I mean, how many of you guys have been in that spot before, right? You've been away from the Lord and try to take comfort in your own self, and you're like, well, I do a pretty horrible job of being God. Um, I don't know about you, but that, maybe that's just me. Um, but, uh, but the next thing the Bible talks about is Isaiah seeing the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple. So how many of you guys, um, how many ladies are married, right? And you have these like nice, white, beautiful wedding dresses and stuff you spend way too much money on, right? You wear once and then one day you're like, oh, I'm gonna give it to my daughter. And then it's like way out of date by the time they get there. So it's just wasted money, right? How many of you guys... Maybe it's just me that's bitter. I don't know. Um, so, but the reason you wear these long, white, beautiful gowns is because it's a place of honor, right? You're like, I don't work. At least you shouldn't be working on your wedding day, right? You're like, this day is about me. I want to be honored. And so the idea with the king with this long tr- uh, train of his robe filling a temple was this, it, it's a complete and total picture of his, of his um, purity and his dignity and his and his utmost and utter respect that his people would have for him. And so not only is Isaiah seeing the Lord on his throne, but without, uh, without hindrance. I mean, you do not work in a long train. Anyone have like a long train? They don't really do that anymore, right? But like, you know, you look at the, the king of England or the queen, that one couple that got married, what are their names? Someone in here knows, you know them. They had a baby. <laughs> Anyways, she like wore this like long like dress, you know, the one with the baby, right? Um, Anyways, they have like this long dress. I'm like, dude, that is ridiculous. You have your bridesmaids, like, every, like seven of them pick them up just to move the train. Well, the picture that, that Isaiah is painting here is just of God's complete and total sovereignty and his, and his majesty and his power and his might displayed in just an awesome way. You've got to remember, too, that Isaiah is writing the most descriptive terms that he possibly can think of. Um, and so it says that, you know, the train of his robe filled the temple um, and he was high and lifted up. In verse 2, it says, Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Uh, with two, he covered his face, and with two, covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So, Sephirim, uh, this is the only time the Bible refers to them as these. These are um, cherubim. Uh, now, there's people that debate this, although um, I, I don't. You look at Revelation, and, and they're described the same way with having the wings and the multiple faces and the feet. And so um, these are, these are um, angels. Uh, these are angels that are they're sitting in the throne room with, with Christ, and, and their job is to bring glory to Jesus, or to, to Christ, to the, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That's their job is to bring holy, um, or I should say, um, to lead people into this, this worship of him and to bring honor to Jesus' name. And so 
Um, burning ones is what seraphim means. It literally means burning ones. So I don't know if they're literally on fire um, or not. But, uh, and then verse 3 and 4, it says um, that they, they cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, um, and the house was filled with smoke. So in Hebrew, to say something three times, like holy, 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 is um, basically to say um, holy and the highest. Um, if you're going to repeat yourself three times, it is to say that's the, the highest level um, that you can possibly get. Um, now, like I, I deal with junior high and high school students, and so if you want to say like, if you want to be like, oh, that's the pinnacle, that's like, that's next level right? So Jesus' holiness is, is next level. It is above anything else. And they don't speak directly to the Lord. If you look at right here, what does it say? They cried out to another saying, holy, holy, holy. You know, and, and these, these beings, these angels had a reverence for the Lord that I think um, that, that you and I and the church today has, has lost. We have lost a proper respect and a reverence for the Lord. Um, you know, we, we take uh, from time to time, we can take advantage of God's grace and we can take advantage of, his, um, of the veil being torn and us having access to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of the Lord. We can take that for granted from time to time and uh, we, lose, um, we lose reverence for the Lord. And so when I, when I was reading this this week and studying this this week, um, the thing that popped out to me is that they weren't, they weren't chanting holy, holy, holy to God. They were declaring his holiness to everyone else. And so for you and I, uh, in our lives, is our lives lived in a way that is declaring God's holiness to other people? By the way that you and I interact with each other, with our spouses, with those people at work, does our life um, declare God's holiness? Or do we tend to shy away from the title of believer, Christian, follower of Jesus because of our life? And so very convicting for me this week and something I wanted to address this morning is, you know, it, does our life uh, reflect God's holiness? Are we proclaiming his holiness by the way we live our lives? Um, and so um, they were praising the Lord. You look at it, they were praising the Lord with conviction. They weren't half-heartedly singing songs or anything like that, but their lives, their very being was proclaiming his goodness. And in verse five, it says this in Isaiah Seeing the Lord, seeing his splendor, seeing his might, he says this, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I have a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my king has seen the, or excuse me, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's only reaction to seeing God was, being undone. He said, woe is me for I am undone. Woe is me for I am undone. What does undone even mean? Like, we don't really say that today. That literally means if you look at it in in the Hebrew and you look at the root word, it literally means to be cut off, to decease, to be shut up, to be made dumb. Like, in God's presence, he is shut up and he is to be made dumb. He's literally cut off. That's how holy God is in comparison to us. I mean, God is next level holy, right? And here Isaiah is seeing the Lord and says, woe is me for I am undone. Standing in the presence of a, of a all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-holy God, his natural and only response that he could possibly have was to realize his sinfulness and to say, woe is me for I am undone. Well, the cool thing is God doesn't leave us in that place, does he? We still need to, re- we still need to see our position in Christ but he doesn't keep us there. You know, those who have um, asked Jesus into their hearts and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, God says, you are now adopted. I have adopted you. I've chosen you. And so Isaiah says, woe is me for I am, I am undone. Um, there's two other people in the Bible that I, I want to look at today. Look at Job chapter 42. It'll be up on the screen. If you guys want to read it with me, Job. Um, let me give you a little background on Job. So the first Three quarters of the book of Job, you know, um, 
the Lord is, is testing him. You know, there's trial and tribulation, and there's famine in his, in his family, and his family is being killed off, and his livestock is being taken, and his house are being burned, and all this stuff is happening to him, right? And, but he, he's faithfully following God, and he has these friends that are coming to him and saying, you know, you should just, you know, you, what have you done? You must have sinned. He's like, no, I didn't. And his wife's telling him, you should curse God and die. Like, that's a supportive wife, right? How many of you men want a wife like that? <laughs> didn't think so. Um, and and so he, he's beginning to start questioning God in the later chapters. You know, he's beginning to start questioning God and why this would happen to him. And then God says, okay, now prepare yourself like a man and I'm going to question you and you're going to answer me. That's not something you ever want to hear from God. Um, and he says this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This was Job's response to finally seeing the Lord for who he is. I despise who I am because I am so not like you. This is the proper response when we come to a holy God. Not that we try to be like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as, you know, say Kevin or, or you know, I'm not as bad as, as Jeff or, just, you guys were here, sorry. So, um, you know, so I'm Justin. So I'm not as bad as these guys. So, um, you know, this is not the way we respond to a holy God. The way we respond to a holy God is in reverence and realizing who we are is, is nobody. But God, Christ coming and living inside of us makes us somebody. And Peter, in uh, Luke chapter 5, my favorite chapter in the whole entire Bible, um, Peter, he goes out fishing with the Lord. Remember, he, he was fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. Um, and, and the Lord asked him, hey, look, go out. Let's go out to, into the deep water and let, let's catch some fish. And, and he's like, Lord, I'm the fisherman. You're the preacher. I know what I'm doing. Um, you know, it's not a good idea. I kind of fished all night. haven't caught anything. But he says, okay, nevertheless, nevertheless, even though I, I'm pretty sure you're crazy and I know what I'm doing, but I'll listen to you. And so sure enough, he goes out into the deep um, and, and casts his nets at the, words, uh, at the word of the Lord. And they started to catch so many fish that their nets were starting to break. They called for the partner boats to come and help them. They got on shore. They left everything and they followed, um, followed Christ. But you look at Peter's reaction in Luke chapter 5. Um, and, and it says this, but, Simon, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So if you guys are catching what I'm picking up, what I'm laying down here and what the Lord is, is laying down here in his word, it's how we are to respond to the Lord. It's not in arrogance. It's not in self-pride. Um, it's not in self-assurance. It's we are to respond to the Lord on our face. Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, you know, depart from me, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. This is how we are to respond to a holy God. This is the reverence that God uh, deserves for us to realize who we are in light of who he is and to worship him that way. And our lives ought to declare his majesty to the entire world. Woe is me for I am undone. He recognized his uncleanness. He recognized that he could do nothing uh, of, of lasting um, he could do nothing uh, of importance without the Lord. Verse 6 goes on and says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which was taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So, Isaiah is, is cleansed and prepared for service to the Lord. So you notice here that Seraphim, he, he took this coal from the altar. Um, now, you, something you got to know about the tabernacle. Um, so for, let, me, let me back up. I forgot to tell you guys this. So obviously, this is a vision of heaven. Um, the Bible doesn't say that he actually went to heaven. This is, a, this is a vision of him in heaven and seeing the Lord for who he is. And in heaven, it, it's a... Um, it's a picture, uh, or the, the tabernacle that Moses made in, in Exodus is, is um, modeled after what it was in heaven. So as the Lord was giving Moses instruction on how to build it, where to build it, um, you know, cubits this, cubits that, this wide, that tall, this skin, all that was, was a model after the heavenly tabernacle. And so this right here is a picture of, of uh, 
Isaiah seeing the, the holy place and there's an altar of incense sitting right, be, right in front of the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. Um, and this, this angel flew, grabbed a coal from the altar of incense and touched uh, Isaiah's mouth with, with the coal. And so you look at this altar of incense, um, it's, it, what, what it was is God commanded the, the priests uh, to burn incense on the altar um, every morning and every evening. Basically, it would coincide with the, the sacrifices that were being made. Um, and the, the incense was a symbol of the prayers and the intercession of the people going up to God. It was supposed to be like this sweet-smelling aroma. And so if you grab the picture here, as these incense are going up to the Lord, it is as if, you know, when you and I pray, you know, how many of you guys have sat in a prayer circle and someone said, may your prayers be like a sweet-smelling aroma to you? Have you ever heard that? And you're like, what the heck is this guy talking about, Right. This is what he's talking about here, that our prayers are to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord as these, um, these, the altar of incense is burning up to God. And so when you look at it, I like pictures. How many of you guys are like a picture book kind of guy, right? I like pictures. I like to, to see things in my head. I like to picture them. I can build stuff, but I need to be able to see it. Like I don't need instructions. As long as I can look at this pulpit, I, I can build this pulpit. Um, and so I want to paint a picture for you guys right now of of when I was reading this, and I feel like the Lord kind of ministered to me on this, and, and it was kind of a cool picture between the altar of incense being our intercessory prayer and Jesus in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, um, being, our, um, being our intercessor. He, you know, he makes an intercessions for us to the Lord, and it's, it's as if this coal was from the Lord's altar, a picture of Jesus who's our um, intercessor, you know, cleansing Isaiah, uh, getting him prepared for the work that God had for him. And so um, God wants you know, his dwelling place in the tabernacle. He wants his dwelling place to be a place where, where people can approach him and pray to him. So the altar of incense is this representation of Christ who was our intercessor um, before God the Father. Look at Romans chapter 8. It's up on the screen. Verse 34. <clears throat> it says, Who is he who, con- who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And so Christ on our behalf, going before the Father, you know, on this sweet-smelling aroma to the Father is the same way that this coal from the Lord's altar was placed upon Isaiah's um, mouth. And it says here that he cleansed him in uh, verse 8, or verse uh, 7. It says, and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away and your sins purged. You notice what was touched. What was touched on Isaiah's body? His lips, his mouth. What was the very tool God was going to use from Isaiah? His mouth. God first needed to cleanse him and to touch his mouth before he could use. How many of you guys... Have, have heard maybe a calling from the Lord or you could have sworn it was from the Lord and you go out and do it and then nothing happened. You're like, what the heck? Maybe that wasn't God. That, I've been there plenty of times. And I wonder if those are the times where, where God hasn't prepared me yet for what he wanted to do. You look at the apostle Paul, right? He's like, hey, I want to go to Asia and I want to save all these people. And the Lord's like, no, the Holy Spirit's like, no, I don't want you to. So he doesn't, right? And then he goes back later and then all these people get saved. So it's like he had, he had good intentions to go and to preach a message, the gospel to these people, but it wasn't his time yet. You know, and, and how often are we like that? You know, we, we have good intentions. We want to go do something for the Lord, but it's not time yet because we haven't bathed it in prayer. We haven't been cleansed. We haven't been touched by the coal from the Lord's altar yet. And it ends up being a work of the flesh instead of a work of the spirit. He was going to use his, his lips to, um, to preach a, a message um, to these people that they weren't going to listen. You're like, well, why in the heck would you cleanse his lips anyways if it's not going to work, right? We'll, we'll get to that. Stay tuned. Um, but how many of us need our lips to be touched by a coal from the Lord's altar? How many of you need to be cleansed and prepared for the work that God wants to commission you to do? If we get out ahead of the Lord and we do something that's not of the Lord, it's a work of our flesh, it's going to fall flat and you're going to leave discouraged and you're going to wonder what happened. 
you're going to wonder, well, God, where were you on that one, you know? That's because we jump out ahead of the Lord too often. You know, Isaiah is being prepared for his calling to ministry. But first, his sin had to be burned away. His, his mouth had to be cleansed. Once Isaiah had met with the Lord in that temple, once he had met with the Lord, he had been convicted of his sin. He saw who the Lord was. and He was like, what was me for I am undone? And he was cleansed from his sin with a coal. Then he was ready to serve the Lord. So, my, um, some of you guys, most of you guys probably um, know my, my story, but I'll give it really, really quickly um, of how I stand before you today. Um, <clears throat> I didn't go, I'm in the process of, I'm in Bible college right now, but um, I didn't, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, kind of, sort of. Actually, not really. Um, my grandparents loved Jesus, and they took us to sun, Sunshine Preschool, and so when I was with my grandparents, we'd go to church, but with my mom, we wouldn't. My mom and dad had divorced when I was little. Uh, I was like two years old. And, um, and so my mom, you know, just we had a rough life. My mom being, you know, an addict most of her life. We were from house to house and apartment to apartment and couch to couch. And, uh, you know, I would live with my grandparents for, for a little while and then have to go live back with my mom. And so this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and my mom got saved when I was in uh, fifth grade, I believe. I came home to her literally physically fighting somebody. And she got her nose broken, and it was that brokenness that actually drove her to the Lord. Um, crazy, right? So fifth grade, my mom gets saved, and, uh, and then we start going to church. And, and then in high school, I, I end up being homeschooled um, through high school and junior high and high school because I was getting in a lot of fights and just, just a punk kid. And so uh, my mom's like, well, let's homeschool you. And so, well, the teacher or the principal said, you should put your kid on a bunch of medication because I was like HDA double whatever, you know. <laughs> I had every disease you could think of, I'm sure. Um, and so they're like, yeah, give him, give him Ritalin or something. Give him medicine. So my mom's like, well, let's try homeschooling. And so um, <laughs> fixes everything, right? Um, so I was homeschooled through junior high and high school, and I started going to Calvary Chapel Marietta through the homeschool program there, and I, I played football and all that kind of stuff. And so after high school, or my, during my senior year of high school, I started drinking a little bit and just partying, and I played football, and I was like pretty... Um, you know, pretty popular guy, and so I was, had access to anything I wanted. Um, and, and so through high school, I started drinking a little bit. After high school, I moved out when I was 18, moved out of my mom's house, and my brother and I got an apartment together, and we just, the drinking and the gambling and just everything just ensued. We just had the times of our lives, right? And this, this, this sin uh, just engulfed us um, and uh, walked away from the Lord, never denied him with my mouth, but by my actions, I was far from him. Um, and so, um, my wife and I were dating at the time, um, and we dated for five and a half years, starting as juniors in high school and got married in 2007. And so, um, you know, she, I had my, hid my lifestyle from her. She had no idea. I used to drink every single day. I'd get like a, you know, 40 on the way home and drink it and drive on the way home. And then I have, you know, at least a six pack while I was at my house. And, um, so you can just imagine this, this lifestyle of just, denial of the Lord, yet I would get up and go to church on Sunday. Um, and so it was during that time I got married to my wife, and I was hiding this from her, and then she, she found me out. She found out that I was a liar, I was a hypocrite, and uh, I, was, um, just, I was just a chump. And um, the Lord just convicted me, and I just broke in front of her. I was on the way back from a Charger game, September 11, 2007. Um, they played the Chicago Bears. I'm not fan of either one of those teams, but I had free tickets, and so um, I root for the 49ers. Uh, so they come home. I come home, drove home drunk. She catches me, outs me, and here I am um, bawling in front of her. The Lord, the Lord was just speaking to me, okay, you're done. Your time is up. Your, your, your day in the sun is done, right? And um, so I confess everything, and then we start going to my boss at the time. I used to do, uh, work construction, lay hardwood floors and stuff, and so my boss at the time he was uh, leading a Bible study here at Pastor Darius's house um, when the church was just a growth group. And so I started going, my wife and I started going, and um, 
I, I, I really committed myself to the Lord. And um, just after I went to my first men's retreat in January of 2008 here at the church, um, and I just shared a story about the importance of discipleship. You know, growing up without a dad, I know how important that father role and that dad role is in the life of a young kid because I didn't have it. So I was on that side of the, the spectrum. And so I just shared my heart with like, hey, be a man, disciple your kid, love your kid, be there for your kid. Um, you know, because I knew what it was like not to have that. And so in the course of that conversation, the Lord was speaking to another guy here at the church. And he came up to me about a month later. and was like, hey, have you ever thought about serving in the youth ministry? And I said, no, but um, thanks for asking. <laughs> See ya. No, I said, no, but, you know, sure, I'll give it a try. Um, so I, I show up uh, to Bob and Gloria's house. Where are they at? There's Bob. Show up to Bob and Gloria's house and just hang out. And his son, Jake, was, uh, was in eighth grade. And it was Lexi in sixth grade, I think, at that time, maybe. And um, so, yeah, I just started helping and serving. And, um, and then I got tricked into taking it over. Um, so that was in February of 08 by... Uh, August of 08, um, I had taken over the, the youth ministry, and the Lord um, began to work in my life and, and change things, and I, I'm not trained. I didn't go to youth ministry college. I didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't do anything. I was just available. I said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And, um, and, and the Lord has done just amazing things. I may get choked up thinking about it because I don't deserve this. I deserve death. But here I am standing today because the Lord is faithful, and because the Lord prompted me, and I, and I was smart enough to, to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Um, and Rezon, uh, Isaiah responds in that way. He responds with no hesitation, doesn't respond with fear, doesn't respond um, negatively. He says, okay, what do you have for me, Lord? I, I, I'm, I'm ready, I'm willing, use me. You know, I think that the church needs more men to step up and to say, use me. Um, instead, what we see is men and, and using the church as a crutch or using the church as an excuse or using their family as an excuse. Or, you know, we, we can find a million excuses in the world why we shouldn't be serving or why we can't serve and why we can't do this. But I can guarantee you this, at the end of your life when you're standing before your king, you're not going to say, man, I wish I had served you a lot less. I wish I would have responded and said, no way. You'll never say that to the Lord. But here's some things that you will say. I wish I hadn't have said no. I wish I wouldn't have been disobedient. You know, so I want to challenge you guys to, you know, if the Lord's calling you, and the Lord is calling each and every one of us to serve in a capacity, it may never be preaching. It may never be, you know, whatever. But the Lord is calling each and every one of us. You know, what, what is our response going to be? You know, our, Isaiah responds to the call of the Lord and he says, here I am. Send me. Verse 8, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go? Then I said, here I am. Send me. God's asking for someone to step up and to be his spokesman here. And, and Isaiah has no idea what he's getting himself into. I mean, he's being called to preach a people to hell, literally. Literally. He's literally preaching their, their, he's sealing their fate by preaching this because they won't repent. He doesn't say, okay, I've got the sweet job for you. Remember Jonah? He's like, hey, go preach to Nineveh. They're all going to get saved. Jonah's like, no, I'm straight. I'm good, you know? And then here he goes, hey, Isaiah, preach. Or Isaiah, will, will you be my, sp my spokesman? Will you go? And he says, sure, send me. He didn't wait for, okay, what's the catch? How many of you guys' first response is something, hey, can you help me? Or like, hey, is your truck free? You're like, no, it's total, stolen, abducted, right? Getting a truck was the best and worst thing I ever did in my life. Um, but that's how we respond, don't we? We want to know what's in it for us first. Or we want to know, you know, is, how is it going to affect us? Instead, okay, here I am, Lord, send me. What if God's calling you to this great ministry? If God's calling you to this not-so-glamorous ministry, does it matter when the Lord calls? God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to call you, and you're going to do this, 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 and this, and it's going to be great. No, the Lord says, I want availability. I don't care about what you've done in the past or who you are. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. He says, I want your availability. I don't need your ability. I will, I will create in you who I want you to be. God's not looking 
for, for great men and women of this great character step up and, and he's just looking for willing and submitted servants. That's what he's looking for. And I said this in the past and I'll, I'll say it in the future and I'll say it right now. Literally, if God can call me to be a pastor, to preach his word, he can call anybody. God will use the rocks to cry out. God will make a donkey speak. God's, God's able. God is able to move you where he wants you to be, but he can't move you if you're not willing to go. He can't use you if you're not willing to be used. If God, God can call legions of angels to come down right here and to carry out his work. God could, call, God could create robots. He could send angels. He could do whatever he wants, but he's not looking for that. He's looking for willingness. He's looking for people's availability. And so my question for you guys this morning is, are you guys available to the Lord or is your schedule full? Are you guys willing to serve the Lord when he calls or is it too much for your Savior to ask of you? Now, I told you it was going to be convicting because this kicked my butt this week as I was praying through this and reading this. And here I am, a pastor, and, and I'm, a, I'm a servant, right? But if my heart's not in it, am I truly a servant? No. I'm, I might as well be sitting on my couch at home. And I get that way. I, I confess, I get that way. I don't want to be um, here at 6.30 in the morning sometimes. I don't want to be. You know, the Lord says, check your heart. Who, who are you talking to? Who are you serving? You're not serving people. You're serving your creator. It's convicting, super convicting as I was reading through this and, and praying through this. And, you know, I came to the conclusion that here I am, Lord, send me. Whatever you have for me, God, I, I pray that my response would be that. I pray that my response would be that. You look at Peter's life. And because of his willingness to obey, God used him to, to just do incredible things, preach at Pentecost, 3,000, 5,000 people get saved because of his willingness. Moses, I can't speak right. I, 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 you know, I, 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 I don't know. Here, God uses him to, to, to lead millions of people out of captivity. God doesn't need people that have experience. God doesn't need people that, um, that are rock stars, what God needs is people who will revere him and follow him and obey him. That's who God's needs. Let me ask you guys this question. Can we be that church that will say, here I am, Lord, send me? Or do we allow our own affairs and our own, our own things get in the way of, of a response like that? You know, wait, Isaiah doesn't wait to get briefed on his, on his mission you know, he didn't let the fear of failure, he didn't let the, the fear of failure to deter him from, from his call. You know, so often, you know, we, we end up making excuses of why we can't answer the call of duty. You know, but, uh, you know, I don't have any time. I, I work long hours or, you know, I've got kids at home or, or I'm not educated or, you know, and we can come up with a million really, really logical and really, really good excuses. We really can, and, and I've done a good job of that, making up excuses why I can't do something, why I'm too busy. But God sees right through all that. And not everyone's going to serve in the same capacity. I'm not saying if you don't come here and serve at the church, no, God's calling each and every one of us as individuals because that's how he treats us as individuals to serve. Whether that's here at the church, whether that's in your home, whether that's at your, at your workplace, but you won't know where God's calling you to serve if you're not pressing into the Lord to hear from his heart. You know, people so often want to wonder what God's will is and what God's plan is for their life, but they never talk to, or take the time to stop it and, and to, to seek him, to seek the Lord's face. I promise you, when the Bible says, you know, knock, I'll answer the door. Seek me. If you want to know what the will of the Father is in your life, you need to seek the Lord. You know, we, we make excuses why we can't serve or why we can't be called and why we can't answer the call of duty. But, um, you know, your, your disobedience to the call that God's placing on your life um, is, is sin. Don't call it anything else. Don't let Satan call it anything else. Because what Satan wants to tell you is that it's not sin. You're just really busy. You, you know, you, you, you work long or, or you got kids or wh whatever the thing is. Your disobedience to God's call is, is nothing short of sin. Anything short of 100% obedience is 100% disobedience. 
It's something I've learned with parenting my, my kids, going through growing kids God's way. You know, you're like, hey, Bella, get over here. She doesn't come over here. Is that disobedience? Even if she comes late, is it disobedience? Absolutely. Why do we think that we're any different when the Lord's calling us? We're called to obey. God wants our obedience. You know, how we respond to God's call will determine everything about how we trust and how we fear him. So our response to the Lord, our responsibility to the Lord is to respond with obedience. And how we respond to the Lord determines who we think the Lord is or who we we say the Lord is and how we live our lives are two different things. We can call him Lord, we can call him master, we can call him father, but if we're not obedient, is that truly the case? God's looking for people who are willing to obey him. And once we're willing to obey him, he will commission us to do amazing things for the gospel's sake. How many of you guys want to be a difference maker? I mean, guys, that's what we want to be, right? I mean, that's why, that's why young kids dream of going in the army. I mean, that's why we dream of, of taking the game-winning shot, right? We want to be that difference maker. Well, God wants to use you in that capacity, but he can't use someone who won't say, here I am, send me. Verse nine says this, then he said, go and I will tell you or and tell this people. Here's the, the fun part for Isaiah. It says, go and I want you to tell this to him. Verse, uh, verse nine it says, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn back and be healed. This was Isaiah's commission to go and to preach to a people who won't hear, to show them things that they, they, they won't see. And the Lord says, look, if they would listen and they would understand with their hearts and they would return and they would be healed, but that's not going to happen. You know, God told Isaiah to go. How many of you guys have like asked the Lord for something and you got an answer and you're like, psych, uh, let me ask again. <laughs> it's not the answer I was looking for. How many of you guys have ever been there, right? Four of us and the rest of you guys are liars. Awesome. <laughs> um, but no, we, we ask the, the Lord for something and, and he, he shows it to us or it's not the answer we want. We're like, oh, just kidding. This is why I imagine Isaiah, um, you know, we'll, we'll hear, let, let's look at verse 11. Then he says, Lord, how long, Right? Perfect response to like, hey, I want you to preach, I want you to preach these people that aren't going to understand you. Your ministry is going to be filled with, with um, just, I mean, I don't know about you, but as, as someone who, who preaches the word, I mean, I'd like to get a response, even like a, like a nod or like an amen every once in a while is like really encouraging, right? Yeah, yeah there you go. It caught on. All right. All right. Um, but these people, they, they weren't like that. But isn't it funny that God calls us to preach to a people that uh, they're not certain of their their response. That doesn't mean we stop preaching to them. You know, that, that is so convicting to me because I often, I, I don't even want to preach to someone that I know won't hear, that I know won't, won't, won't repent, that I know won't, you know, confess their sin or whatever. You're like, oh, they're, they're set in their ways. That's for someone else, right? But this is the, the, this is the, the call that Isaiah w- was um, this is the mission that Isaiah was called to. Don't you preach to these people that aren't going to understand you, that, that won't understand you. It's not you they don't understand. It's not you they're not uh, repenting but, or to, but it's, it's me. You know, and God's instructions to Isaiah was, was go. Um, much like Abraham. Remember Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? He says, look, I want you to leave. You're going to be like, have so many kids, like stars, sand, the whole bit, like millions and millions of descendants, all yours, right? He's like, but first I want you to just get out of here and just go. And like, like where am I going? Right? How many of you guys have ever felt like that? You're like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to go, but it'd be nice if you kind of brought me along in your plan. I'm here to tell you that if God brought you along on all of his plans, you wouldn't go anywhere. Because God's plans are, are not our ideal all the time. When God says, I want you to go and preach to a people that aren't going to understand, Isaiah's like, oh, I'm good. Hit up Ezekiel, you know, like Joel's really good. That's his deal, right? 
So it's, our own, it's for our own good that God withholds information from us. We need to be close to the Father's heart to understand and know that what he has for us, the mission he's calling us to, is good. We may not understand, but that's okay. We're not God. We're not called to understand all those things. We're called to obey. You know, he says, how long, how long, you know, should, should I preach this message? And, and uh, verse 13, excuse me, verse 11 says, you know, how long should I, should I do this? And, and the Lord answered, um, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and it will return uh, and be for consumption or consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. So in a nutshell, the last few verses, um, Isaiah, you're to preach, you're to preach until destruction comes. Verse 11, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. You know, but we preach and Isaiah was to preach, but not preach without hope. There's a, there's a hope of this re, uh, restoration of just a tenth, a remnant. In verse 13, it says, And yet a, a tenth will be in it and shall return. So even though Isaiah's ministry was, was hard, it was difficult, um, it wasn't without hope. And you and I, we, we, have, we have that same hope that lies within us, which is the hope of glory, Jesus living inside of us. This is what we preach for. This is why we live. This is why we move. This is why we breathe. And that hope that's in us, others need that hope. When are we going to listen? When, when will we listen? I mean, there's no doubt the Lord has been calling some of us in this room for many years, many weeks, many months, and we have chosen not to be obedient. How long? I mean, do we have to go through calamity and hardship? And, and do we have to go through all these things like, like Judah did and finally get take, carried out in, in, into Babylon? Right? Do, we ha- do we have to go through that process before we'll listen? You know, Isaiah's job was to preach, hey, look, don't, don't be foolish. We can save you from this. You know, we, like Judah, do we have to go through these things before we will repent and before we will, we will learn? You know, and our job, our duty as believers is what? Matthew 28, the Great Commission something we hear very often at church, but I want to read it to you guys again. It's actually be up on the screen. Let's take a look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He says this, and Jesus spoke, he's basically sp- speaking to his, to his people, his followers, and, and he said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he has authority now. It's not a suggestion, but hey, this is authority. This is an authoritative statement. He says, go Therefore, notice the difference or the, the similarities between go and go. He wants his people to move, right? God's calling his people to, uh, on the move. Go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and I will be with you, and I am always with you, even to the ends of the age. This is our command. I'm pretty sure, just going on a limb here, I'm pretty sure that the last thing Jesus said before ascending into heaven to take his rightful seat on the throne wasn't a suggestion to consider, but rather a command to obey. I don't know about you guys, if you were leaving the earth, you were leaving your your family, you were leaving your, your kids, your wife or someone, and you were giving them instructions, would you hope that they would obey those? Would you say, ah, you might want to do this? Or no, do this. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He says, look, I want you to go. Make disciples. I mean, we all know the story of all the different uh, apostles, disciples. I mean, they were fishermen, tax collectors. They were zealots. I mean, they weren't like these squared away. I mean, Paul, right? Paul's like the most official, uh, the most educated uh, apostle, right? But God doesn't call the equipped, right? He equips the called. And this is us. We are called. 
He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to call us to something and not see us through it. He's not going to call you to go and not go with you. Moses, he's, he was called to leave Mount Sinai in, in Exodus 32, I believe. And, uh, and, and Moses is like, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. That's boldness. How many of you guys want to be bold like that before your Savior? Okay, and what happened? God went with him in a, a, a pillar of, of, of smoke, a cloud by, by night or a day and, and, and fire by night. I mean, the presence of the Lord went with him. God's not going to call you to move and not go with you. God's not going to call you to serve and not equip you to do it. You know, the earth, mankind, humanity is on a collision course with God's wrath. There is no mistaking that. There's no getting around that. The earth is on a collision course with God's wrath. And we as the believer have the only thing that will satisfy God's wrath. It's Jesus, that hope of glory. And for us to sit quietly by and watch millions of people come face to face with that wrath and and for us to sit quietly by and do nothing is the height of selfishness, arrogance, and sin. You and I are called on mission with God to make a difference. God cares more about your holiness than he does anything else. God cares more about your obedience than anything else. God doesn't care what you do for a living. God doesn't care, you know, he doesn't care about all that stuff. What he wants is our obedience. He wants willing and able servants to get on the move and stop making excuses and start serving him. You imagine a church that would get up and stand on their feet and they would serve Jesus right here in this community. Could you imagine the difference that we could make through the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you guys want to see that happen? We pray for revival, but we sit on our butts. We want to see change, but we're not willing to do anything about it. I mean, how many of you guys as an as a employer would hire someone that says, oh yeah, I'll do this, this, and this, and this, but then as soon as you hire them, they don't do any of that. Would you fire them? Let's, let's get on the move. Let's say, here I am, send me. God is calling us to stand up, to live a life of holiness, to be equipped by him, mobilized by him to make a difference. And we can hear this message, get convicted and get all fired up and then go home and do nothing about it and all of it's gone. So the Lord is speaking to each and every one of us as individuals, calling us to serve in a different capacity, in a different way. I trust that you will listen to the Lord and I trust that you will obey his calling. God is calling you to do something about it. Will you have the guts to answer that call?